Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to PGN, Prophetic Grace Network. This is a live Internet broadcast of Secrets Revealed. Understand the Book of Revelation from start to finish. I am your Book of Revelation research scientist. It is Sunday, April 30th of 2023. Today is our final talk and discussion on the 666 Antichrist prophecy in the Book of Revelation. We have been talking on every broadcast in the month of April of 2023 about the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Today we're going to focus on talking about the mark of the beast. What is it? Why is it? And what will it mean for you? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's get to it. There are... 12 statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation. The 666 Antichrist prophecy is the fourth statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation. The first statement of prophecy is the seven seals prophecy. That's followed by the seven trumpets prophecy, which is followed by the 1,260 days prophecy, which is followed by the 666 Antichrist prophecy. That's followed by the 144,000 first fruits prophecy, as well as the earth reaped prophecy. Then halfway through the statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation, we arrive at prophecy number seven, the seven final plagues prophecy, which is followed by the purple and scarlet prophecy, and that is followed by the marriage supper prophecy. The final three statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation all focus on what happens after Jesus Christ fights and wins the upcoming battle of Armageddon, the war to end all wars. So beginning with chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, we have Statement of prophecy number 10, the millennial reign prophecy, verses 1 to 10 of chapter 20. It's followed by the dead judged prophecy. What happens at the great white throne judgment? For every person who takes the mark of the beast during the great tribulation, when does the individual pay the price for taking the mark? It's described. In the dead judged prophecy, verses 11 to 15 of chapter 20. And then finally, we arrive at the culminating statement of prophecy in the culminating book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation. That's the new earth prophecy. If you never, ever read anything in the Bible, maybe you are a truth seeker, but are not yet at being a believer. If you are a truth seeker 
and you are interested in the end times and you want to know the point of it all, you need to read the culminating statement of prophecy in the culminating book of the Bible. That statement of prophecy, statement of prophecy number 12, the final vision John the Revelator was shown when he was called up to heaven is the new earth prophecy revelation all of chapter 21 as well as the first five verses of chapter 22 the new earth prophecy it describes that period of time in the future which is the eternities of eternities beyond time after the end of time so this age is coming to an end. Time is coming to an end. This world is coming to an end. What happens after it comes to an end? What happens is that we transition a new earth and new heavens. John the Revelator gives us a description of that vision which he was shown. It's called the New Earth Prophecy. So this year on PGM, Prophetic Grace Network, we are talking about all 12 statements of prophecy. April is the fourth month of the year. So we're talking about the fourth statement of prophecy, the 666 Antichrist Prophecy. Next month is May. We'll be talking about the 144,000 First Fruits Prophecy. And it will continue like that. And in December, we'll focus exclusively on the New Earth Prophecy. Now, perhaps you have a comment or a question about the book of Revelation. You don't need to wait until we get to that part of the book that we're focusing on. You can text in your comment or question about the book of Revelation 24-7. You can use our PGN text number. That PGN text number is one two one four. Five zero five eight seven one nine. That's one two one four five zero five eight seven one nine. You can call during the live internet broadcast on Sundays. Our PGN phone number is one three one nine five two seven six zero two seven. When you call in, press one, and that will raise your hand in the virtual queue to let me know that you have. A comment you want to share or perhaps you want to ask a question or present a prayer request you can do any of those three things you can do all three if you wish to pose a question about the book of revelation present your perspective about the book of revelation or share a prayer request so i invite you to do that this program secrets revealed understand the book of revelation from start to finish is live every sunday at 12 p.m. Texas time, that's 1 p.m. Eastern time, and on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Central time, that's 10 a.m. Eastern time. So let us get to it. Today we're going to focus on the mark of the beast. So the 666 Antichrist prophecy is chapter 13 in its entirety. Let's go to the verses where the mark of the beast is discussed. In Revelation chapter 13, verses 16 and 17, it says, reading from the New Living Translation, He required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, 
which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. The mark of the beast is coming. It is coming during the great tribulation period. The mark of the beast will be available necessarily for all believers and unbelievers to take. Each person who is a part of the bride, each person who is a sheep, each person who is among the good fish, each person who is among the wheat will have to decide whether he or she is taking the mark of the beast or holding out for the mark of God, which will go on the forehead of every member of the royal race. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 4, in the New Earth Prophecy, we are told that every person who is there on that new earth, who has the ability to enter the gates of the city, what's the city? It's the new Jerusalem. It will be in the same location that the current Jerusalem exists in today, but its borders will be extended as described in Zechariah. Every person who's a member of the royal race, in other words, every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will have on his or her forehead a mark. So it is biblical. It's within uh, the stated norm provided in the Bible for a human being to take a mark. Now, what about this mark? What mark are you supposed to take? And when are you supposed to take this mark? What mark are you supposed to reject? And when will you have the opportunity? When will you need to necessarily reject the wrong mark? So there is a right mark, which is the mark of God, and there is a wrong mark, which is the mark of the beast. Now, you might say, research scientists, I don't believe in all of that. I'm agnostic. During the Great Tribulation, a period of 1,260 days is described in Revelation chapter 12. That's three and a half years. That's 42 months. The mark of the beast is going to be available to every person. And every person who is here on this present earth will have to make a decision. Do you accept the mark of the beast or do you reject the mark of the beast? If you accept the mark of the beast, you are disqualified from receiving the mark of God. Let's hear about the mark of God. It's described in two places in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22 and Revelation chapter 3. Let's hear how it's described in Revelation 22. 
It says in verse 4, they shall see his face. Who's they? Talking about those who have transitioned from the old earth to the new earth, those who participated in the transition from mortality to immortality and who are now members of the royal race. It says, they shall see his face, talking about the face of God the Father. And then it says, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Let me say that again. It says in verse 4 of chapter 22, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So what does that mean? That means that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have found and followed God's plan for salvation that exists today. And every person who found and followed God's plan for salvation at the time, uh, the plan that existed at the time he or she lived on the earth, all of us will have, quote, his name. And where will it be? Quote, on their foreheads. So it will be on your forehead and it will be on my forehead. Let's hear more about the right mark, the mark of God, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Jesus is talking about the rewards of being a child of God, the rewards that come with finding and follow, following God's plan for salvation, the rewards for being victorious. In other words, achieving success in Christ, allowing the blood of Jesus Christ to pay for one's sin debt, Transitioning from mortality to immortality, overcoming your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is not Joe Biden. Your greatest enemy is not Donald Trump. Your greatest enemy is not Elon Musk. Put in any name uh, of an individual that you feel uncomfortable with or any individual that you don't like. That person, friend and truth seeker, is not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is death. And you say, well, I don't believe that death is an enemy. Death is a part of nature. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Death is not a part of nature. Death is a part of the curse. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, and the last enemy he destroys will be death. So not only is death your enemy, but God, the creator of the universe, the creator of both you and me, asserts that death is an enemy and that he is going to defeat death. Not only has he defeated death, but next he's going to destroy it. So death is not normal. Death is abnormal. Getting sick with disease is abnormal. Hair discoloration is abnormal. Back pain is abnormal. The, the inability 
to hear with both ears is abnormal. Now, this is not judging anyone or saying that anyone is uh, less than another person, but it's reporting the reality that God's perfect will for your life and my life is for us to live in a peak performance body that is 100% free of DNA errors, a body that will never, ever die, a body that is immortal, a body that is suitable, not only for this present earth, but the new earth to come. Now, if you take the mark of the beast, it disqualifies you from transitioning to your new body that's already on schedule for you. If you take the mark of the beast, it disqualifies you from entry onto the new earth. If you take the mark of the beast, it disqualifies you from taking the mark of God. Now, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, it says, I will write on him the name of my God. Now, who's talking here? Jesus Christ is talking. Revelation chapters 2 and 3 are the seven letters to seven churches, 100% of the words in these seven letters to seven churches are the words of Jesus Christ. So this is God manifest in the flesh, Jesus Christ talking. And he says, quote, I will write on him, talking about, quote, he who overcomes is victorious. So who overcomes? Every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Every person who has found and followed God's plan for salvation, Jesus says, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which descends from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So Jesus says that the mark of God that he's going to put on every believer is the name, that's his own new name, the name of my God, that's God the Father, and the new Jerusalem. So that is the mark of God. And we just heard how in Revelation 22, it's going to go on the forehead. Now, the mark of the beast is the wrong mark. The mark of God, which will go on your forehead. Now you say, well, research scientists, when will it go on your forehead? I don't see in the book of Revelation where there's a report of when it goes on everyone's forehead. There is a report of when it goes on the forehead of the 144,000, which, by the way, we're going to talk about the 144,000 first fruits prophecy every show in May. So I don't see in the book of Revelation the specific timing communicated about when believers, when we will get the mark of God on our forehead, but certainly um, at the time when we are living on the new earth, that mark will be there. So Jesus Christ promises to put his mark, the mark of God, on the forehead of every person who is victorious. So if you die in Christ, you're victorious. If you're in Christ at the time of the second coming, you're victorious. If you're not in Christ at the time of the second coming, you're a failure. You say, well, what does that mean? That means that you will not 
obtain the mark of God on your forehead. That means that you will not rule and reign with Jesus Christ on this present earth for the first thousand years of his government. That means that you will not transition from this present earth to the new earth. So the right mark is the mark of God. The wrong mark is the mark of the beast. And that's what we're talking about today. The wrong mark, the mark of the beast. Now, the mark of the beast is going to be available during the Great Tribulation. Well, you might say, well, is it going to be available before the Great Tribulation? Possibly. Possibly. But specifically during the 42 months of the Great Tribulation, it says everyone will be required to take a mark on the forehead or the right hand in order to buy or sell. So it says he, talking about the false prophet, one of two beasts discussed in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, it says he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. So uh, individuals will have a choice. And we're told that the mark is either, quote, the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So it sounds like individuals will have a choice of taking the name of the beast. So this is a counterfeit mark, a wrong mark, the name of the beast on the forehead or the number of the beast on the right hand. Or it could be vice versa, right? So there will be a choice taking the mark on either the forehead or the hand. And in one instance, that mark will be the name of the beast. And in another instance, the number representing his name. And it says uh, the number of the beast is the number of a man, and that number is 666. So you might say, um, tell me more about the mark of the beast. So buying and selling, what does that mean? You might recall in the book of Daniel, at the beginning of the book, there's discussion of a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. It was a God dream. And in that dream, he saw a great statue. He was so troubled. He was so, so, so very troubled. He could not remember uh, his dream. So he called the fortune tellers, the astrologers, all the wise men, and said, hey, I had a troubling dream. I can't remember. I can't remember my dream, um, but that's what I'm paying you for. You remember my dream and then tell me what it means. So, of course, these people were charlatans and frauds. They didn't have any ability to hear from God. Uh, they were team Satan. They had no ability to hear from God. The king got mad, and he issued a decree that all of the astrologers and wise men and fortune tellers, uh, fortune tellers that they uh, should be killed. He was frustrated. Why do I have these people on payroll if they can't solve my problems? So they came to Daniel's house, 
being that Daniel uh, had participated in this exile to Babylon and was serving as one of the wise men along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this decree impacted him and his three friends. So uh, now, according to King's orders, they have to be executed. So Daniel says, hey, um, wait, what, what's happening when they arrive at his door? I imagine that they knocked on it like the police, that loud knock. He goes to the door and answers it. He's a wise man, so he's patient, and he listens, and he says, explain to me what has happened. So they explain to him what has happened, and he says, oh, well, let me go to the king uh, so that I can request more time. They permit Daniel to do that. The king hears his request and says, okay, I'll give you more time. Daniel, who was not a fraud or a charlatan, Daniel was a man of God. He and his friends, they prayed to the Lord, and the Lord caused Daniel to have the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and gave him the meaning of it. So he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and says, listen, uh, God has given me the meaning of your dream. Uh, he's given me your dream and the meaning of it, and he tells him what it is. And how does this relate to the mark of the beast? The last part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is that he sees a kingdom, and this uh, this kingdom, the fifth and final kingdom, has iron mingled with clay, and as the giant statue with the feet of iron mingled with clay appeared before Nebuchadnezzar in his dream, a giant rock appears and it smashes the feet of iron mingled with clay. And this kingdom, iron mingled with clay, represents the kingdom identified in Revelation chapter 13. Now, let's hear that dream of Daniel, and then let's go to Revelation 13, where it's described. It says, You, O king, saw and behold, there was a great image. This image was mighty and of exceedingly great brightness, stood before you, and the appearance of it was frightening and terrible. As for this image, its head was of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, the baked clay of the potter. As you looked, a stone was cut out without human hands, which smote the image on its feet of iron and baked clay of the potter and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the baked clay of the potter, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken and crushed together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. After the Battle of Armageddon, the ten-nation alliance led by the Antichrist who is working in tandem with the false prophet, this is what's going to happen. The wind will carry this kingdom away so that not a trace 
of this kingdom can be found. And it says, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain or rock and filled the whole, whole earth. What does that mean? The government of Jesus Christ is going to be a great mountain or rock, and it's going to fill the entire earth. And unlike the kingdom of Rome or Greece or Babylon or this upcoming 10-nation alliance, which includes Germany, Great Britain, and Russia, among other nations, unlike these nations whose governments will rise and fall, the government of Jesus Christ will never, ever end. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Talking about the government of Jesus Christ. So continuing in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says to King Nebuchadnezzar, this was the dream, and we will tell the interpretation of it to the king. You, O king, are the king of the earthly kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand, and has made you to rule over them all. You, king of Babylon, are the head of gold, and after you shall arise another kingdom, the Medo-Persian inferior to you, and still a third kingdom of bronze, Greece under Alexander the Great, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom, Rome, shall be strong as iron, since iron breaks to pieces and subdues all things, and like iron which crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of baked clay of the potter and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but there shall be in it some of the firmness and strength of iron, just as you saw the iron mixed with miry earth and clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of baked clay of the potter, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle and broken. And as you saw the iron mixed with miry and earth and clay, so shall they mingle themselves in the seed of men in marriage bonds, but they will not hold together. So this beast we're about to talk about in the book of Revelation, more than 600 years before this book was written, God was already talking about uh, the Ten Nation Alliance that he would talk to John the Revelator about and about this Ten Nation Alliance that's going to exist during the Great Tribulation when the mark of the beast will be available and required, it says they shall mingle themselves in the seed of men in marriage bonds, but they will not hold together. For two such elements or ideologies can never harmonize. Even as iron does not mingle itself with clay. And in the days of these final ten kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people, but it shall break and crush and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So we finally arrived at the take-home point for our discussion of the 666 Antichrist prophecy, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in the days of these final ten kings, so what are these final ten kings? These are the ten kings 
of the ten-nation alliance that we're about to hear in Revelation chapter 13. So what is God telling Daniel now uh, more than 2,500 years ago? God said to Daniel, in the days of these final ten kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Now, when does Jesus Christ set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed? When he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon. When does that happen? After the great tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan, there's the wrath of God, which culminates with the battle of Armageddon as described in the seven final plagues prophecy. The seventh and final plague includes, but is not limited to the battle of Armageddon. So in the book of Revelation, in chapters 15 and 16, we have the seven final plagues prophecy. And this is... Uh, where we have the Battle of Armageddon noted immediately after Jesus Christ fights and wins the Battle of Armageddon, he establishes his government on this earth. Now, what else does it say here in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44? About the government of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God on this present earth, it says, shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people, but it shall break and crush and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. How long is forever? Forever is beyond time. Forever is the eternities of eternities. Forever is after the end of the age. So we learn in Daniel chapter 2 that the return of Jesus Christ requires the existence of a ten-nation alliance. And this ten-nation alliance is described in the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Let's hear it. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, Then... I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. So these ten crowns are the same thing as the ten toes described in Daniel chapter 2 and the same uh, ten described in Daniel chapter 7. And it says, and written on each head, were names that blasphemed God. This beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And a dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshipped the dragon for giving the beast such power, and they also worshipped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who was able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God, and he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. Now let's pause there. So first five verses of 
chapter 13, that's the movie trailer in words for the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Each prophecy has two parts. It has an abstract and a full report. So we learned in this abstract, which is essentially a movie trailer in words, that there's a beast. It has those ten horns, which are the same uh, ten, representing the same ten toes in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So certainly it was a God dream. But let's go to Daniel chapter 7, where the beast noted specifically in Revelation 13, Verse 1 is also described uh, to Daniel. So Daniel has his own vision at night. Daniel has his own dream. So Nebuchadnezzar was given a God dream about the ten-nation alliance that will exist during uh, the timing that the mark of the beast the, during the timing of the administration of the Mark of the Beast, King Nebuchadnezzar was given a dream more than 2,500 years ago about that. And Daniel was given a dream as well about this ten-nation alliance. So here it is in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. Daniel says, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens Political and social agitations were stirring up the great sea, the nations of the world. And four beasts came up out of the sea in succession and different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I looked till the wings of it were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon two feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, was like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side. And three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, which had four wings of a bird on its back. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. So here we hear that same beast. How do we know it's the same beast? It has... Uh, the, the bear, it has the leopard, it has the lion, it has one other thing, eagle's wings plucked from the lion. The eagle's wings represent the United States of America. Eagle is the symbol for the United States of America. Only God could know that 2,500 years ago, right? America didn't exist 2,500 years ago, but it existed in the future. And for an omniscient God, time exists within God. Past, present, and future exists within God. There's a beginning of time and there's an end of time. What happens after the end of time, eternity, future, that's the new earth. You want to get to eternity, future, the point at which chronological time is no longer relevant. You want to make it to the new earth so that you're spending eternity, future, the eternities of eternities on the new earth. Now, God's given Daniel a God dream more than 2,500 years ago. Uh, the book of Daniel was written about 600 years before the book of Revelation. And so here he's given this information, and it says in verse 7, this is the most important verse, Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions... And behold, a fourth beast, terrible, 
powerful and dreadful and exceedingly strong, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled what was left with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that came before it, and it had ten horns symbolizing ten kings. So in Revelation 13, we're told about the ten-nation alliance that has ten horns, and in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, he was told about the ten-nation alliance that has ten horns, and it says symbolizing ten kings. Now, interestingly, so we know that when the Antichrist emerges, this government, this one-world government, not as strong as Babylon, not as strong as uh Media Persia, not as strong as Greece, not as strong as Rome, but stronger than any nation that you or I have seen in our lifetime. This ten-nation alliance will have ten nations. However, here's something very interesting. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn. So the ten horns are ten kings. So at first there will be ten kings. One for each of the ten nations, it appears. It says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one. So initially, the Antichrist will not emerge as a gigantic figure. It says, it's a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So even though the Antichrist will not appear to be uh a prominent or the most prominent, obviously, if he's involved in the Ten Nation Alliance, he's prominent, but not the most prominent figure, not the most dominant figure. He will appear little relative to the other kings, but it says there came up among them another horn. So there'll be the Ten Kings. Then there'll be a little king before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So the Antichrist is going to unseat three presidents. Now, their title might be president, prime minister, uh, majesty, uh, your royal highness, whatever the titles are for the particular nation. But he is going to unseat the leaders of three of these nations. And then it says, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So the Antichrist is going to grow and strengthen dominion across 42 months. We're going to hear this. But ultimately, what happens? Daniel says in verse 9, immediately following uh, the, uh, this God showing him, the reality of the Antichrist, verse 9 says, I kept looking until thrones were placed for the assessors with the judge and the ancient of days, God, the eternal father, took his seat, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame. Its wheels were burning fire. You know, it goes on just due to time constraints. I'm going to pause there. But the take-home point is Revelation 13, to unlock all the secrets, we needed Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, and Daniel chapter 7, verse 7. Now that we have those secrets, 
and we're here in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, we understand that when it says, then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, it had seven heads and ten horns. We understand that the ten horns are ten kings. And it tells us in Revelation 13, it had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. So it begins as 10, but ultimately will be 7, because the Antichrist is going to put three of them down, and he's going to emerge as the leader, the mouthpiece for this 10-nation alliance, which was referred to as a beast. Now let us hear the full report. Verses 1 to 5 give us a summary of the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Now when we go into the full report, we're going to find out that there are two beasts. One beast is the Antichrist. The other beast is the false prophet. These two beasts, so the Antichrist uh, from this point forward will be referred to, he'll continue to be referred to as the beast, as the mouthpiece for the Ten Nation Alliance, which is also referred to as a beast. So the Antichrist and the Ten Nation Alliance are one, right? So he will be, ultimately, he will emerge as the mouthpiece for the beast. It will have seven heads. Even though they're ten nations, he's going to pluck three of those kings, uh, three of those presidents, three of those prime ministers. He's going to unseat those individuals, and he will emerge as the leader of this Ten Nation Alliance. The alliance, the final world government, the new world order that will exist at the return of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's why this is so important. That's why this is so important because these nations, the nation that has as its symbol the lion, that's Great Britain. The nation that has as its symbol the leopard, that's Germany. The nation that has as its symbol the bear, that's Russia. These nations have to exist in order for Jesus Christ to return. And they do exist today. So we are in that timing. We await the rebuilding of the third temple, which must exist at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now let's hear the full report first in verses 6 to 8. We'll hear about the Antichrist. And in verses 9 to 10, there's an instruction for the church. What are we supposed to do during the 42 months where the Antichrist is doing whatever he wants? Then in verses 11 to 17, we hear about the false prophet, including his directive for everyone to take the wrong mark. What's the wrong mark? The mark of the beast. And what should uh, Christians and truth seekers be taking, that's the right mark. That's the mark of God. So let us begin with hearing a description of the actions of the Antichrist during the 42-month period of the Great Tribulation. Beginning with verse 6, it says, And he spoke, talking about the Antichrist, terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war, against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. 
So those are the key actions of the Antichrist. Number one, the Antichrist is going to blaspheme God. Number two, the Antichrist is going to slander God. Number three, the Antichrist is going to slander heaven. Number four, the Antichrist is going to slander those who live in heaven. Number five, the Antichrist is going to wage war against Christians and conquer Christians. And number six, the Antichrist will receive authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So those are six key actions uh, reflecting activities of the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. Now, what are you supposed to do during this 42-month period? Well, we have an instruction. The end of verse 10 says, God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. That's the instruction. Now, we're going to hear uh, all of verses 9 and 10, but it ends with that instruction. So during the Great Tribulation, the instruction from God to believers is endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. So remaining faithful means not taking the mark of the beast, giving testimony for Jesus Christ, refusing to worship the statue of the beast, refusing to take the mark of the beast. Now, Enduring persecution does not mean taking up arms. There's no doubt that some people will say, well, this person is our Goliath. And our job is to take down Goliath the same way that David took down Goliath. Get behind me, Satan. If you hear anyone saying that during the time of the Great Tribulation, you ought to say, get thee behind me, Satan. The instruction of the Bible is for us to instruct many. Elsewhere in the Bible it says that. And here in the book of Revelation, to endure persecution. The only army that's going to defeat the armies led by the Antichrist are the armies of heaven, repeatedly. In the Bible, it refers to the Lord of Heaven's armies. And indeed, as reported in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus Christ will descend with the shout of the archangel and the sounding of a trumpet, riding on a white horse, followed by the armies of heaven also on horses. So the armies of heaven will fight the armies of the world. It's not the armies of uh, any other nation or the armies. It's not the armies of man. So that's important for us to remember. We are to endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Faithful to what? The word of God. Faithful to Jesus Christ. Faithful to the instructions in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, it says that we are to obey the words of the prophecy. So I, I used to wonder, Lord, how do you obey the words of the prophecy? And then one day it hit me. As, uh, I heard Andrew Womack say this one time, his lightning fast mind. Uh, he was kind of making fun of himself, and I'm kind of making fun of myself. It took uh, some time, and finally it clicked. 
it clicked one day that this instruction uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed, happy to be envied is the man who reads aloud in the assemblies the word of this prophecy, and blessed, happy to be envied are those who hear it read and who keep themselves true to the things which are written in it, heeding them and laying them to heart for the time for them to be fulfilled is near. So this translation says heeding them, talking about the prophecy. Another translation says obeying them. So how do you heed? How do you heed uh, the prophecies in the book of Revelation? How do you obey them? I was just reading from the Amplified Classic Translation. Uh, you follow them. So specifically in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, it says during the Great Tribulation to remain faithful and endure persecution patiently. Now let's hear all of it. All of the instructions for the church during the Great Tribulation that appear in the 666 Antichrist prophecy. Now elsewhere in the Bible we're told that during this time uh, those with wisdom will instruct many. During the Great Tribulation, here in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, it says, beginning with verse 9, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I believe that's you. I believe you're spending time listening to this Internet broadcast because you have ears to hear, because you are a truth seeker. You're seeking the truth found in the Word of God, not the truth found in a woman or a man, but the truth found in in the word of God. It says anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now understand what? Here it is, verse 10. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Now let's talk logistics for just a few minutes. Let's talk logistics for a few minutes. So the great tribulation is three and a half years. In Daniel chapter 9, we have the 490-year prophecy, uh, 70 sets of seven, the final seven years. And I believe this is why some people think that the great tribulation is seven years. The final seven years culminates with Jesus Christ returning and fighting on behalf of Israel. What is he fighting? The Battle of Armageddon. He fights it and wins it. That seven-year period culminates with that. Within that seven-year period is the Great Tribulation. So there's a ramp-up period, then there's the Great Tribulation, then there are the seven final plagues which culminate with the Battle of Armageddon. So what does this mean? Let's say that an individual is destined to die by the sword. Well, there's a sword that comes with being beheaded if you live in a Muslim country and you are found to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And promoting that, the favorite way to uh, execute someone in many of those nations is beheading. And beheading is referred to in Revelation chapter 20, the millennial reign prophecy. Uh, John the Revelator saw people who were beheaded, Christians, during the Great Tribulation. He saw them alive again on the, on the present earth, alive again in their uh, perfected, glorified, immortal bodies. Now, what does that mean? So if 
Daniel's 70th week is seven years, and it is. That's in Daniel chapter 9. And that period ends with Israel being set free. When is Israel set free? When is God's wrath, his anger, fully satisfied uh, with respect to the rebellion of uh, Israel and Judah? That's at the end of the final set of seven. And that's why he returns to fight and win the war that the Antichrist is going to wage against first Israel, then he's going to enlarge it to include Christians, as described at the end of chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. So what does this mean logistically? If a person is destined to die by the sword during the Great Tribulation, that person if he or she is in Christ, is immediately present in heaven. The body, uh, the word says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for who, who dies in Christ. But the individual will be in heaven only temporarily because as described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you or I die during the great tribulation, we go to heaven, and then just a short while later, just a short while later, the first resurrection happens, that's the marriage of the Lamb, which is followed by the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is the battle of Armageddon. Now, you might say, well, I don't want to come back to this earth. When I get to heaven, that's my final resting place. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Do you think that Satan has defeated God? Satan wants to prevent God's perfect plan of you and I living Three in one, body, spirit, and soul on a beautiful earth like that which existed when the Garden of Eden was here. That's Satan's fantasy, Satan's vision. Satan's plan is to thwart that, to prevent it, to uh, destroy God's plan. Do you think Satan is more powerful than God the Father, than Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh? Certainly not. Certainly not. God's plan will be realized. You say, well, when is it going to happen? People are dying every day. When it, when it is going to happen is at the end of Daniel's 70th week. So the great tribulation happens. That's the wrath of Satan. It's followed by the wrath of God culminating with the battle of Armageddon. And when the battle of Armageddon begins, it is preceded by you and me and every believer transitioning from mortality to immortality. That's the beginning of it happening. Now, Jesus Christ will rule and reign with all members of the royal race. That's everyone who's transitioned from mortality to immortality for a thousand years. Now, during this thousand years described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, there will be both members of the royal race and mortals. Satan will still be for the beginning of the thousand years and most of it in the bottomless pit. Then he'll be let out for a short while. And then at the end of the thousand years, he'll be destroyed. We transition to the new earth 
after the great white throne judgment, which happens after Satan is destroyed. So what I'm saying is there's a transition period. It's roughly a thousand years of you being in your perfected glorified body, me being in my perfected glorified body, us rising up to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds, in our perfected glorified bodies. Then we come back. We come back with Jesus Christ. You say, well, come back. When I get to heaven, I want to stay in heaven. Certainly not. Certainly not. No person will stay in heaven and no person will stay in Hades. Every person will ultimately dwell in the ultimate dwelling place. There are two ultimate dwelling places. One, the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone forever and ever. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 20, we're told that the Antichrist and false prophet are going to the lake of fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 9 and 10, we're told that Satan's going into the lake of fire. In Revelation 20, verses uh, 14, and 15, we're told that every child of Satan goes to the lake of fire. In Revelation 14, we're told that death itself is going to be destroyed. I think you see the pattern here. How is death going to be destroyed? It's going into the lake of fire. So the lake of fire is the ultimate dwelling place for every person who is team Satan. But the ultimate dwelling place, as Randy Alcorn refers to it as, Randy Alcorn's the prolific writer on heaven. Randy Chandler, the prolific prophet on PGN and for the world during this time. Randy Chandler has referred to heaven as a temporary storage tank. Randy Alcorn refers to it as a layover. I love both metaphors. Heaven is temporary. Now, if you are one of the people where it says you are destined to die by the sword, don't stress out about that. Heaven is a promotion. You rest from your labors, it says in heaven. Uh, you're absent from the body and present from the Lord. It says to die is gain for those who are in Christ. So don't be stressed out about that. The other thing is realize that every person who is martyred during the Great Tribulation is coming back to the same present earth. Now, one question I've wondered is, is it a downgrade? <laughs> when you have lived in heaven, the dwelling place of God the Father and Jesus Christ and the angels, when you come back to this present earth that is going to be war-torn and where uh, there are other things that still will still be dying, right? Trees and other – so when you come back to this present earth, is it a downgrade? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question, but I consider that sometimes. But – there, there is that, that transition period of a thousand years. After that thousand years, we have the great white throne judgment. Then we transition to the new earth that is perfect, where nothing is under the curse, right? All of God's enemies have been destroyed, and we're told in Revelation 21, there are no more tears, there are no more pain, there's no more mourning, there's no more grief, there's no more sorrow, there's no more death. Because the former order of things have passed away, and we have... A new earth and new heavens. Okay, so just wanted to share a little bit about some logistics. Um, now, what if you go to prison? 
during the uh, Great Tribulation. Because it says anyone who's destined for prison will be taken to prison. Some people will be imprisoned, right? Well, remember, the Apostle Paul was in prison. People were praying for him. And then all of a sudden there was an earthquake and the shackles came off of him and the cell uh, door opened and he was free to go. But he was worried that his jailers would be uh, killed or otherwise uh, hurt if he escaped. So he let them see him. And he said, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm able to leave. But I haven't left. I don't want you to get in trouble. And when they saw that this guy had been supernaturally freed, they gave their lives uh, to the God that he served. And then he, of course, went, away, went on his way. Now, if you or I, if we are destined to pri for prison, if you are or if I am or both of us, how long would we be in prison for? Now, no one wants to be in prison, right? But remember, the apostles, they suffered. There's only one who wasn't executed, but 11 of the 12 apostles suffered greatly. They suffered so much that they lost their lives. Now, during the Great Tribulation, although the Antichrist will be endowed with legitimate authority over every nation, tribe, language, and tongue, all of that, that authority will not be realized to the same extent everywhere, Right? So it's not in every nation that people are going to be beheaded. For example, in this nation, uh, the United States of America, where I live and maybe where you live, maybe you live in Canada, when people uh, have been sentenced to death, we don't behead them, right? So when the Bible talks about that, I'm inclined to believe that those uh, believers who are beheaded will be believers who live in uh, nations that are primarily Islamic nations, so nations uh, in the Middle East. Many uh, are Islamic nations that are in some parts of Africa are primarily Islamic, not everywhere in Africa, but some parts. Um, nations that have uh, that are dominated by Catholicism, those nations will be strongly impacted. Now, let's continue. Now it's time to hear, what about the other beast? What about the other beast? Let's hear verses 11. We're continuing in the 666 Antichrist prophecy. We're about to hear the reality that there are two beasts described in the book of Revelation. These two beasts are operating in tandem during the Great Tribulation. These two beasts are the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, what is the false prophet doing and who is he? Let's hear it. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11 says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. This is so important. Remember, there was one beast described in Revelation 13, 1. Now John the Revelator says, Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. Let's pause there. The dragon is Satan. So you might say, well, wait a minute. You explained that the leopard is Germany and the lion is Great Britain and the bear is Russia. Therefore, the dragon must represent China. China is playing a very prominent role on the world stage right now. Well, we know that the dragon is not China because in Revelation chapter 12 and in Revelation chapter 20, the dragon is identified as Satan. 
Okay, so it says, he had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. That means that the false prophet will speak the words of Satan. The false prophet represents one of three parts of Satan. So uh, God, the Father, has Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God and the Son of Man, and the Holy Spirit that indwells every believer. Three parts. The Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. One God, three parts. One God. So Satan has three parts. What are the three parts of Satan? Satan, the fallen angel, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So Satan is attempting to counterfeit God the Father. And so here's his third part, the false prophet. It says, he had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast. So he has all the same authority. Uh, well, it doesn't say he has it, but he exercises. In other words, he has the same ability to have his will realized on the earth as the Antichrist. It says he exercised all the authority of the first beast. Now, how is he able to do that? The Antichrist and the false prophet are parts of Satan. In other words, they are serving Satan. They will have given themselves over completely to Satan. Now, you might ask, well, does that mean that Satan created them? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that these individuals, the Antichrist and the false prophet, are men who will have yielded themselves to Satan, a creation of God, who has rejected God, who has rebelled against God. And in that way, they have joined themselves to Satan so that Satan has three parts, the part given to him by God in his angelic form, and now he will uh, use his uh, power to empower the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, what else does a false prophet do? It says, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. So it appears that the Antichrist will have some kind of fatal wound. In other words, the Antichrist should experience death, Perhaps he will, it would even appear that he has died, but this fatal wound will be healed. Now, you know, the people who don't know the Bible, the people who don't believe in miracles, when they see this miracle, when they see the Antichrist healed supernaturally, due to their ignorance, they will be deceived. They will say, this has got to be God. This man came back to life. This man who would otherwise be dead or who was dead is now living. This is a real miracle. I've never, ever seen a miracle. It's got to be God, but it doesn't have to be God. It has to be Satan. And how do we know it's Satan? Because it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And what is the word telling us? It's telling us that an agent of Satan, the Antichrist, will have a fatal wound that's healed. Now, what else will the false prophet do? 
It says he did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. So the false prophet is going to work miracles. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast. So he's doing these miracles in the name of the Antichrist. He's pumping up the Antichrist. Remember, we're told in Daniel that the Antichrist is going to stand in the middle of the rebuilt temple, temple where the ashes of the red heifer, which is, uh, we believe that the red heifer that's going to be used in the third rebuilt temple that is in Israel right now, it was found in Texas, uh, and it uh, transitioned from Texas to Israel in October of 2022, the Antichrist is going to stand in that rebuilt temple and declare that he is God. So we already know who the Antichrist is. For those who don't know, but do who read the Bible, it will be confirmed for those individuals when they see the Antichrist, who was the, the identity of the Antichrist was announced in September of 2022 uh, by Prophet Randy Chandler. If you didn't hear that show, I invite you to go back to the archive, uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash two witnesses, the number two, blogtalkradio.com backslash two witnesses, the number two, uh, September 8th. In September 12th, I believe it was on September 12th that the identity of the Antichrist was revealed. September 8th was an important discussion leading up to that, uh, the revealing of that information in our time. Now let's continue. Talking about the false prophet, verse 14 says, And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform, on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. Now, if you are a truth seeker, that doesn't include you. Truth seekers arrive at salvation. The Bible says, when you search for me with all your heart, you will find me. Who's me? God. Who's God? Jesus Christ manifests in the flesh. If if you if you don't have the son, then you don't have the father. So if you don't have Jesus Christ, you don't have his father. You do not have God the Father if you don't have Jesus Christ. It tells us that in the New Testament. Now, all the people who belong to this world are the people who do not belong to the kingdom. You say, well, what kingdom? I'm not talking about Saudi Arabia. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the government of Jesus Christ that will exist after he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon, and it will grow to include the entire earth. It will immediately, immediately when he wins, he has dominion over the entire the earth. But the reach of that government, the establishment of that government will grow and grow and grow till it reaches the far ends of the entire earth and that government will last forever and ever, forever and ever. You want to be a part of the government of Jesus Christ. So either a person belongs to this world or they belong to the kingdom. So who's going to be deceived? The people who are going to be deceived are the people who belong to this world, the goats, the bad fish, the tares. It says, he ordered the people who's he, we're talking about the false prophet, to make a great statue of the first beast, 
who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. So there's going to be a gigantic statue. Remember Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar commissioned a gigantic statue of himself. And you see, uh, Satan lacks creativity. He lacks creativity. Nebuchadnezzar commissioned a great statue, so... Now he's like, oh, let me get my false prophet to commission a great statue of my main man, the Antichrist. So the false prophet commissions a great statue of the Antichrist. Then it says in verse 15, he was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Perhaps that's an innovation. We're not told that Nebuchadnezzar's statue could speak, but the statue of the Antichrist will have the ability to speak. I mentioned last week I had seen something where they made Michael Jackson come back to life. I seen a show using technology, and it looked like he was really there, but he wasn't. So I don't know. We're not told whether the statue speaking is as a result of technology or the counterfeit uh Satan-inspired power that the false prophet will wield. So the false prophet is going to be conducting bona fide miracles. Okay, these are real miracles. But there is supernatural power that comes from God, and there's supernatural power that comes from Satan. So some people don't believe in good and evil. They don't believe in God and Satan, but these are realities. Then it says, then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Man, Satan is so, uh, he really lacks creativity. So in Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, he issued that decree. Anyone who failed to worship, uh, so at that time some music played, and when the music played, you were supposed to bow down to the statue. Let me, let me go to that so you can hear that. Uh, in Daniel chapter 3. So in Nebuchadnezzar's day, so that's the first of the five kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Now we're in the timing of the last of the five kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So it all began in Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar had this image, a great statue, and when the music played, you're supposed to bow down to the statue. So here it says... uh, Verse 10 of chapter 3, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, dulcimer, or bagpipe in every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and that whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar created this. um, He's commissioned a gigantic statue of himself, and then... He has these musicians at certain periods of time uh, play music, and if the music starts playing, you have to bow down and worship the beast. If you're caught not bowing down and worship the beast and worshiping the beast, then you die. Now, at the end, at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the stone came down. But so, what I'm saying is, how it's going to end is how it started. Someone who has a government, because God has allowed it during this uh, period of time,
someone who has a government created a statue so people can worship him. He was feeling himself. He lacked wisdom. That's why he needed Daniel to hear from God because he did not have the ability to hear from God and discern what God was telling him. And now at the end, the Antichrist will lack wisdom, will not hear from God. And uh, the false prophet's going to commission a statue of the Antichrist. It says in uh, Revelation 13, verse 15, Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Okay, now what's worshiping the beast? We don't know if it's bowing down, making a salute as if you were saluting Hitler. We don't know if it's, you know, doing the two-step. We don't know what worship specifically is, but there'll be some sort of uh, behavioral response that's required to indicate that an individual is complying with the instruction to worship the Antichrist. Now, about the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is the wrong mark. Now, it ends with telling us what the false prophet will do. Not only does he commission this statue, we're ending with how we started. It says, verse 16, he required, who's he, the second beast, the false prophet, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Now, it says he requires it, but you can refuse it, right? So they require, uh, you know, perhaps, I don't, I don't want to get controversial here, but there are things that are required in every nation. And then if that thing violates your conscience, if that thing violates your beliefs, you refuse to do that thing. So if you are a truth seeker and a believer in Jesus Christ, bowing down to worship a statue of the Antichrist, the man who will declare that he is God, standing in the rebuilt third temple in Israel, that goes against instructions from God. We are only to worship God. We aren't to worship angels. We aren't to worship uh, Mary. We aren't to worship a, a pastor or a preacher or a prophet or a president. We are to only worship God. So we will not, as truth seekers and believers, worship the statue of the Antichrist. We will not take the mark of the beast. It says, he required everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which is either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So all of those who belong to this world, in other words, those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, those who are deceived, those who fail to gain entry to the new earth, those who will have as their ultimate dwelling place the lake of fire, they take the mark of the beast. Every person who refuses to mark, take the mark of the beast, what's your destiny? What's your destiny? If you... Uh, if you go to prison because you refuse to take the mark of the beast, you'll be released. When? In just a short while. Because Daniel's 70th week is only seven years, and it culminates with Jesus Christ returning to fight and win the battle of Armageddon. So if you go to prison, the Great Tribulation happens during the seven-year period, but it's only 42 months. You'll only be in there a short while. You say, well, what if I die in prison, or what if I die by the sword? 
Revelation 20, verse 4 gives your fate. It says, I saw the souls of those who had been slain with axes beheaded for their witnessing to Jesus and for preaching and testifying for the word of God and who had refused to pay homage to the beast or his statue and had not accepted his mark or permitted it to be stamped on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived again. And they lived again. What does it mean to live again? To be in a physical, tangible body. Now, where do you have a physical, tangible body if you are a believer in Christ? Believer in Christ, here on this present earth and the new earth to come, it says, and they lived again and ruled with Christ the Messiah a thousand years. Well, where are you ruling with Christ for a thousand years? Here on this present earth. So if your fate is to die by the sword because you refuse the mark of the beast, don't worry about that. You'll be in a temporary storage tank, present heaven, You'll come back when Jesus Christ has the second coming. You'll put on your glorified, perfected body, your body that will never, ever get cancer. It will never, ever have mental torment and distress. It will never, ever die. You'll be able to run like the wind. You can play hockey, basketball. You can ski. You can run backwards. You can even fly up into the air. You can eat fish and whatever else you want to eat in that glorified body. How do we know? Jesus promises it will be just like his body that he already inhabits. Hallelujah. Friend and truth seeker, whatever you do, make sure your name is written in the Lamb's, written in the Lamb's book of life. Whatever you do, make sure your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, we're going to continue talking about the book of Revelation, unlocking its secrets. Who are the 144,000 described in the book of Revelation? We're going to talk about who specifically that group is. God has unlocked that information for you and for me. I look forward to being with you again. If you haven't done so already, if you haven't done so already, I urge you according to Jeremiah 33.3, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.